Hello, this is Brian from Living in the End Times with Amos and X. As always, thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please be sure to follow us on social media. Give us a favorable rating on the podcast app of your choice, say CastBox or Podcast Republic. And most importantly, support us through Patreon at patreon.com slash endtimespodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash endtimespodcast, one word. And thank you in advance. Who rock Mac knowledge, knowledge is street astrologist, light up the mic, guard knives, this block joints, the character points, Corolla, Motorola, Hola, play it guard, he pack over the shoulder, chrome tanks, play it like Yanks, check the franchise, front on my guys, my enterprise, blast many lives, repel our fakes like reflectors, he has sugar in his hand, his last crack career, we can can him, manhandle him, if you wanna, run in his crib, oh, get ditto, skate like a limo, and jet to the fly state, relate, take a break, break down the eighth and then wait, drop it like Drake, thugs, they be bowing and screwing. We can do it, claim we doing the same shit we doing Fuck the union, it's the same style Where's the trainer boy, jump the turnstile On the alley, try to challenge guard for the new bounce Especially that, aluminum bat in the act Relax, laid back, sell a grenade a day It pays black, the Mac 10 flex White cats like Windex, index Finger be sore, busting these fly spreads The Wally can't count, crazily grins For five plans, laying with my bitches and my mans And Lex lands, we losing them Jet to the stash and now Jerusalem Abusing them, rocking his jewels like we using them Low pro star, seven thick waves that was good stuff. I hadn't heard it. Oh, really? Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I might have heard it. I was going to say, um, many years ago, maybe you recall this too, someone, some some genius, uh, mixed uh, Wu-Tang, I think it was 36 Chambers record, with Fugazi songs to create a Wugazi record. Mm. And that was the most, like, it was way better than just regular Fugazi. As a guy who grew up <laughs> listening to that stuff, I was like, this is incredible. It sort of made those songs vital and real and like more mm. urgent and I mean there's something at stake and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, and that's what this reminded me of is what I'm getting at. Oh yeah, well Ghostface is in Wu Tang, but this is a yeah. solo thing. Yeah, right, right. So when I saw Wu Tang in the year 2000, mm. Ghostface was wearing a like a denim jacket and jeans, and he had like a he had like an iced out ice pick so he had a, a diamond studded ice pick around his wow. neck which is pretty glorious um yeah so we're we're getting gully with it oh i and then i recently saw a couple of clips from ghostface on a podcast and he told a story about um <laughs> he got in like a gunfight with the delphonics where like this <laughs> um 70s band that right. he's he he's used their he's like paid to use their um samples like on his records and shit and then they after i don't it was just some like crazy mix-up or something and that he got caught up in and then after he's like he like apologized to him and they're like oh it's fine <laughs> so that's what <laughs> that's what staten island's like apparently <laughs> um <clears throat> so anyway with the the topic at hand is uh, 2023's They Clone Tyrone film, um, which is uh, a, a black exploitation film 
or in the traditional black exploitation films, like in the, but in the best sense of the word, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, like something like Shaft or Coffee or whatever, uh, from the seventies, where they would, if people aren't familiar, they would make films about uh black life, you know, black urban life, um, with sort of like ex- sometimes uh exaggerated caricatures of like you know pimps and dealers and hustlers and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but like, um calling it black exploitation is sort of writing it off even but that's like sort of the generic you know nomenclature that's taken hold but like that stuff's like really good and really fucking cool mm-hmm. and interesting mm-hmm. um and they don't really make movies like that anymore like there's some there were some like more fringe movies um and that's kind of like this is probably drawing from more of the tradition of like Oh, I can't remember the title offhand, but there's like, there's basically this, this movie about these black, um, I think these people are like plucked from the hood and like turned into CIA agents or something that like turned Mm. into like, and this is, oh, God damn it. It's going to, I'll, I'll find it later. But anyway, like they clone Tyrone is sort of this overlap of like a very like sophisticated political movie and like black exploitation stuff but like still very funny so it has like um it stars john boiga or whatever his name is the guy from who really sucks in star wars but (laughs) really fucking crushes in this movie is like is the protagonist and then jamie fox plays like uh the 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 pimp who's like owes him money initially and then they find out they start unraveling like this very like strange subterranean reality that's structuring their overt reality. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it. So you'll, you know, feel free to correct me on the plot mm-hmm. points, but overall, like basically like they kind of deduce that um, based on like strange evidence encounters situations that like they're, um, or well, no, sorry. Uh, John Boyga gets he gets killed in some right. drug conflict or something, but then he just wakes up the next day, and it seems like maybe he was dreaming. But everybody else is like, no, he's or not everybody else, but Jamie Foxx and his his bottom bitch are like, or she's like, no, I saw him get killed, like he was fucking dead. And then he shows back up, and he doesn't remember. I mean, he thinks he was dreaming, but like he just goes about his day, like mm-hmm. nothing's changed. Um, and so they, as like things unfold, um, they eventually discover these like underground facilities where they have all these clones growing of themselves, um, and like multiple clones and like at one point, well, and there, there's like an interesting scene where the, when the, they're like the white handlers or whatever kind of have to show up and clean clean up a mess they're just like he's like pointing out like this always ends the same for you like there's no way out of this loop um and they um basically like the way overall the way that they find to like break with this is they, they kind of have to become this like little micro communist cell and try to expose this shit and they do they expose it enough um and there's like enough crazy shit that the the media is taking it seriously and um 
in the the film ends with like somebody in they're like in they're on the east coast or something i i, I don't recall but like mm -hmm. they're in some ghetto like on the east coast or in the midwest or whatever and then it it cuts to south central and people are watching this story unfold on the news and a dude who is a clone of tyrone uh sees this his friends are like wait that's you dude like what the fuck is going on and you see mm -hmm. you have this sort of universal like realization that um this all this poverty and all the shit that people go through is literally constructed that they're mm -hmm. literally clones being run through social experiments by you know whoever the government or like evil capitalists um and that was sort of why I, this film was so impressive to me uh was because it it does it shows that like you know um we're talking off air but like the the you know the the left wing version of like why is it so why is like black life not improved but like declined economically for 50 years and you know and never was that good obviously cuz they started black people in america started as slaves um and the left's reason is uh, well they don't have any social support or financial support and the policing is brutal and designed to like you know turn people against each other and then the cia floods the hood with drugs and creates that as the only economic opportunity um and all that stuff is true but like they st no one is no one has been able to solve this riddle you know since neoliberalism like there mm -hmm. was there was a there was a resurgent or whatever a rising black middle class working you know black like factory labor class up through the 60s um that was getting more and more economic power and then that's arguably why uh, neoliberalism shipped jobs out of the country was just to prevent uh black people from you know getting becoming a serious economic block much like in tulsa in 1921 where they just like bombed the city or right. whatever because right. there was black wall street had emerged and my friend's dad is from there and he's 80 and he didn't know about he's from oklahoma and he didn't know about that tulsa he didn't know about black wall street until like five years ago uh like that's how silenced it was um and so like the so this this film like does an exceptional job of like kind of lacing all this stuff together where it's not conspiratorial it's like no there's actual there are actual laboratories the hood is used as a laboratory economically or to test policing policies or to test drug you know uh scams or whatever and we've talked at like you know go if you need the background go listen to the drugs uh, as weapons against us episode or the hammer shoulder episode about what they did in africa uh them being the cia etc at all mm -hmm. um <clears throat> but like the way out of this is and so and then the right would say you know the opposite that oh it's because uh black people are either genetically inferior or culturally inferior and like so they live in the squalor because that's like what they know how to do or that's what they're like or whatever and both of these are wrong uh but the left is wrong simply because they can't they've seemingly are unable to like figure a way out of this and to take uh, that situation. next step yeah 
well to even articulate what could yeah. be a next step um and so and then the right's wrong because they're just you know they're just basically engaging in a fantasy like there's like if you could if you could somehow empirically prove what they were saying or disprove it like they don't they wouldn't know how to it's simply a it's simply a reflexive reaction to just what something that they don't like um and and so like with this with the film it shows that like what i'm getting at is like what seems to be this hard gritty reality is actually this highly abstracted like highly politicized construction mm -hmm. using chemical warfare biological warfare psychological warfare um like you can't the point being like you can't sustain a slum you can't sustain massive slums or ghettos uh in major u.s cities without trying as hard as you like there there are a lot of things that have to happen for mm -hmm. that to persist just simply because we have there's so much economic prosperity on paper anyway in the u.s that like it doesn't make any sense like poverty at mm -hmm. that like you don't that doesn't exist in europe it's beginning mm -hmm. to only but that's only because of very recent migrations uh mm -hmm. that are also highly politicized and also highly controlled in this way but in a it, it takes on a different character um and so like but they show the way out the way out is you have to actually you know like theory is the way out you need there needs to be a new ideology um that matches the situation to show people you know the whistleblower thing to show people the actual game being played by the capitalists by the state cia intelligence agencies whatever um biotech companies mm -hmm. and then at that point it, and then but there's that moment of universality of identifying with the universal experience of you know being a proletarian or whatever that's like the the exhilarating part about this film to me um and it follows the same sort of like Zizekian communist logic of like, you know, this band of misfits, like kind of struggles together to try to um, reveal some truth, which then affects reality itself because people are no longer playing the game uh, in the same way. And I was saying off mic that like, it's like the left-wing version of sorry to bother you, which is sort of a much more cartoonish version of a similar type of narrative um but but not really told from the perspective of people on the ground you know living the this lifestyle or whatever and i think the other like genius thing about this film is like it's actually funny like it's mm -hmm. not sad or whatever it's just like it's a situation people find themselves in and they're just yeah. trying to deal with it um so yeah yeah no i i mean to that last point i agree i like how the film didn't take itself too seriously and somehow manages to accomplish its its point probably because it didn't take itself too seriously and that's good um maybe as a as a starting point i'd only note and this is probably obvious to everybody but um it seems that john boyega can't make a film where he's not a clone assuming he's a stormtrooper <laughs> first right right but anyway <laughs> that yeah. i mean that aside your black exploitation point is is well taken and kind of growing up i was really for whatever reason maybe you were too i was just drawn to that stuff i thought shaft was the coolest and this is before yeah. the remake and before you know i don't know a number of things i was like seven or eight years old i just thought this stuff was so interesting and i think in part because to the as you indicate 
aesthetically and then politically there was always something to those kind of shows or films that struck me as really radical and interesting in ways that other films are not doing right and so that's that's what um i think this film gets right about that that aesthetic but also um you'll remember this i grew up of course watching wwf wrestling and i'm sure my parents love this but i always thought you probably recall the wrestler um I think Ravishing Rick Rude had a mustache at the time uh, in the 80s. Uh, he's, I think he's dead now like they all are. But I think his manager was a dude named Slick, right? And Slick was mm -hmm. obviously a pimp, right? Dressed the part and so on. And he was this caricature. But I always thought Slick was great. I loved that <laughs> character. And, and for the very reason um, you're pointing out in this film indicates is that there's sort of below the surface there's kind of an ideological um i guess break or something radical happening with that um, wrestling manager that you could get away with on pro mm -hmm. wrestling that maybe you couldn't in the mainstream you know popular mm -hmm. culture otherwise and i thought that was neat so i was drawn to that but um to the point of this film then uh the clone tyrone yeah um hadn't ever heard of it until you pointed out and i thought it was really well done and great and um the what sprung to mind, I don't have a lot of coherent thoughts, um, having just finished it not long ago, but um, springs to mind is the uh, the Achille Membe uh, sort of stuff on necropolitics, if you've heard of that guy as a writer. I don't, he's not, mm -hmm. he's Cameroonian, I think, not Haitian, and we'll get to the Haitian stuff, but a, a black writer who sort of extends Fanon and, and biopolitics talks about that and the ways in which the politics of necropolitics is that these institutions or states or organizations, CIA, whatever, like they basically, they go about strategizing and developing plans for who lives and who dies and how and why on a mm. population basis. It's just what they do. And it's their job managing this stuff. <clears throat> um, and, and that was interesting uh, a connection to me. To your point, though, I mean, there's like that kind of theory and that sort of philosophy embedded in the film in a popular culture, you know, black exploitation film with the guy from Star Wars. And, and that's that's amazing <laughs> um, on that level. And um, the we can get into it. But what struck me, too, is the almost in that at that fight club level where, you know, Edward Norton has to shoot himself in the face at the end. What's really interesting to me ultimately is that what the film suggests is the John Boyoga character, you know, spoiler alert, uh, the Fontaine character, I'll say again, there are lots of lots of him clones. But what the film stages is that what he needs to do ultimately is when he's being reborn, that means killing himself at the end, like the version of himself, the the scientist who looks like him or whatever. And that's the move that happens that sort of breaks with the past ultimately and allows these these quote mm. clones to move forward as autonomous subjects who are no longer slaves or they're sort of in control of their own destiny and so on um and i like that i like that move so okay yeah no thank you i couldn't remember the sequence of events at the end so mm -hmm. what so he he discovers that he's the product or the clones of himself and the other clones are products of one of the scientists using his own genetic material that, is that what that's you're saying? right yeah. yeah yeah and then he kills the scientist who was running the program or yeah. that looks like him yeah yeah well that's interesting too in in light of uh the david lynch stuff that we've been talking about the last few months um with the doubles you know there's yeah. always like so like just for example maybe like a, a real life example of this like um there's a lot of questions around the ted bundy case uh from a dave mcgowan point of view and george from cavdef like has gone deep into this and 
also the LOL field and love guy on YouTube has found a footage of like local journalists questioning the official narrative in uh, Colorado about mm. what Ted Bundy actually did because there were more than one doubles of Ted Bundy, like people that looked if not like clones, but like very close to him walking wow. around referring to themselves as Ted and the same thing um, with Lee Harvey Oswald. Like there were Oliver Stone talks about some of it, but like there were Lee Oswald's like spotted in Mexico. I think I can't remember if maybe one in Tampa too, where the other, if you recall the, there were three, there were three cities they were trying to kill Kennedy in like one after another in 63. And one of them was Tampa and the, the other one was Chicago. But so like they, they, they'll like, the CIA will do this where they, if they, they have a, you know, an assassin or whatever, an asset, a MK subject, apparently they'll put them, you know, they'll create doubles of them to see, make sure they were spotted. Like I think in, in the film JFK, when, uh, when Kennedy was assassinated, when they found the real Oswald, he is like coming out of a movie theater. Mm-hmm. which in the film they're like why the fuck would he be going to the movies if he's like just killed the president like and everyone's fucking looking for him like it doesn't make any sense and so um they probably placed they probably had a double on site that they were you know like maybe he hadn't even been at work that day or whatever like all that sort of thing so it's just it's it's an interesting parallel and like the parapolitics guys talk about this with um like and we talked about it in we were talking about Lost Highway, where you have these doubles. Like you had, there's two Patricia Arquettes, and there's mm-hmm. the Bill Pullman character is also the younger guy. Like yeah. that's an alter of his, apparently, or whatever. Um, and so that sort of like, which is very Hegelian as well. Like this whole thing is very Hegelian, which is why it appeals to me in the sense of the universality of like you know understanding like they're all proles when they literally identify with each other because they're the same person physically um and then uh but also just the the way that uh like self-identity plays into like or you know is is a core let's say problem or feature of subjectivity and so like you have these again we've talked about it before like the cia is always doing like the coolest shit like they're always doing the right. wildest stuff and so uh it's but you kind of have to use that that shit against the you know the monsters or whatever if you want to defeat it like um and so like i I'd, I'd mention again off mic like the uh another film that like gets close to this or does the same thing in a different way as Land of the Dead, this George Romero film uh, from 2006, which is the most radical zombie film I've ever seen. And like, basically, you have this slave class sort of uh, controlled externally, like in the way that Haitian zombies are. You know, like Haitian zombies, uh, that's more about mind control than, uh, you know, the sort of Americanized, like, pandemic zombies who just want to eat brains and kill everybody but in land of the dead like they're literally like robotically controlled and then they're 
one of them sort of emerges as a leader and is able to, with the help of this band of misfits, you know, this sort of communist cell resisting, not communist in name, but in structure, in form, like resisting the the tyrannical system. And, um, and the slave class is used to like exploit. It's very interesting. Like they use the, if I remember correctly, they use the zombies as sort of just a, who's ever in power as like a political tool. It's like, it's rather than just being this nightmare, it's just like, oh, they're like over there in those cages. And like, so they're just playing people off each other, groups off each other. And so like to the point about the necropolitics, that's interesting. It's obviously very true. And I think like that's what's so mind bending about COVID now is like to this point where you have. You have people testifying in front of Congress, basically asserting very like established people asserting like it had basically that it had to escape from a lab or had to be created in a lab. There's no it, genetically, it's not possible that it didn't. Right. Um, and so, and then you have like, uh, and if people know anything about this, like if you've read five pages of RFK's book, which is like he said, if I'm lying, I've never been sued. And there's 2,200 citations in this book. Like nobody's like successfully challenged any of this, which of course they would like, and I, it was reported, I think that, well, so like they're trying to like, Rand Paul wants to bring charges against Fauci for lying in front of Congress because he was lying and he wouldn't answer questions. He's dodging questions about who gets paid in apparently it's there's it's been suggested that fauci made like 185 million dollars from the pandemic or something personally um like and fauci was involved with all this horrific aids research that's like he was giving people AZT in these doses that was le that were lethal for like a lot. He he literally was responsible for killing thousands of people with AIDS in the eighties, um, and so like, uh, but to you know obviously then to even talk about any of this, you get like branded a conspiracist or something. I I think that's shifted actually though because, <laughs> I mean, you know. Uh, thankfully people are aware of the fact that they got vaccinated and it didn't work and that they mm -hmm. still got COVID. And so like, you know, that, that should be kind of the end of that argument, but we're seeing, you know, we're hearing there's leaks coming out. Like Alex Jones broke a story that he's like, they're going to bring the lockdown lockdowns back. They, um, people are getting, you know, he's like, I talked to high level people at TSA. They're bringing all the restrictions back in the next couple of months. And then literally the next day they started rolling out some of it. So he was like proven right, um, in two days or whatever. And so the, and, and then he had a, you know, and these are just call-ins, so you can't prove it, but I mean, they sounded plausible where people were like, just people who work at hospitals or universities saying like, yeah, they're talking about, they're already preparing us to like, get ready to do this shit again. And I think like, I mean, you know, this is a tangent, but like, I think it is relevant. Like they are really, really fucking up by trying to put Trump in jail. I mean, that is, 
that is the worst move politically you could ever possibly make because like you know of course people are now like um you put him in jail and then everybody hates the system and they're like well he must be doing something right which you know we as as left-wing trump supporters on this show we've talked about at length <laughs> what he is has done right but like um i it's dangerous though because if they do manage to like i think the georgia indictments are very interesting precisely mm-hmm. because why go at him so hard there are you like to me that they're admitting that they're scared that the whistle's going to get blown on election tampering mm-hmm. cuz there already is like pretty serious evidence that it was happening down there um and like cuz Tucker Carlson was like he refused to talk about it for like a year because he was like I don't know what the evidence is but then evidence started official evidence started coming out and he was like oh apparently there was a lo- a degree of tampering in some of these sites um so like if you're not worried about getting caught why the fuck are you trying to lock up Trump Trump is so popular he doesn't have to go to the debates <laughs> he's polling at 45% in a field of like eight people one of which is our very own Doug Burgum, who who had to pay people. He was paying people twenty dollars to donate one dollar to get his FEC filing in a time. Like that's how strong of a candidate he is. But anyway, all these people are fucking goons. Um, the only one that scares me is Vivek uh, Ranaswani or whatever, only because he's such a grifter that like he's just aping Trump and. He's obviously auditioning for VP. I I was having a debate with someone last night. I don't think that they'll actually make him VP because Trump is not running for president. He's running for king of America, and you don't want somebody stealing eyeballs from you if you're the king. Plus, with the exception of Dick Cheney, like VPs are just lap dogs. Like they're just you just want compliance and just shut the fuck up and go sit in the Senate and bang your gavel for four years. Like it's a loser job. Like Cheney was right. You know, you know, unless you, unless you rework the whole government, like it sucks. But anyway, I was like, he's, he'll probably get secretary of state or something just cause he's got like, he does have a little juice and whatever, but he scares me because if Trump actually, if they actually managed to prevent Trump from getting elected or running and Vivek is his stand in any wins that guy is not going to know what the fuck he's doing. And he's got no juice. At least Trump had rich people behind him mm-hmm. and at least knew how, how money moved and, and could go on TV and fight and win every single time. Everything he said, he won because no one knew how to fight back. This guy's like a fuck. He's like, if Andrew Yang read the fourth turning or something, he's just like a fucking moron. Um, but him in power is bad news because he's going to mm-hmm. have to listen to like real stupid and real psychotic people. Um, and also, I think Trump, like, they're after the one of the Georgia indictments came out. Oh, by the way, they published the indictment before the grand jury came back with a verdict. And it was the same. They published a verdict or um, they published indictments that were like identical to the ones the jury came out with. So like they they rigged it. They literally rigged it. Now that's not hard to do. Like I will say grand juries are fake and gay. Like they are literally 
you know, like you can get a ham sandwich indicted literally. Um, and so that was why it was so disgusting after Michael Brown got killed that they couldn't indict the cops. Cause an indictment is just basically opening an investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so after these indictments and people are obviously enraged because like they want to be able to vote for Trump and, uh, they started like people started harassing and targeting like court workers in Georgia. And it's like, you guys created this situation. You politicize the judiciary in the most crazy way possible. You're going to have people revolting. Like, I just don't understand the calculus of like, you know, like, I'm not going to try to like psychologize, but I just mean like the right wing, if you tamper with the rule of law, you will get a right wing rebellion. Like Mm -hmm. they care. They take that shit very seriously. Mm -hmm. The left doesn't really care about that because we're like, well, it's all corrupt anyway. So like that stuff isn't, those are not make or break things for us, you know, except when Jeff Sessions is getting fired, then we rise up to the fucking streets. Like the most like disgusting moment in (laughs) the American left, maybe in the last 50 years in some ways. But the reason I'm talking about Trump in this context is because things have gotten so abstract. It's very much like the logic of like in they clone Tyrone, where it's like, you have to like, you have to be playing these, you're, you're battling for ideological primacy mm-hmm. more than anything. And then everything else is sort of just detritus from that. So like the actual material facts of anything like, and again, like, the shit they're trying to pin on Trump is just absurd. It's just like the impeachments. Like they were just fucking a scam. Like they they were on their face absurd. I mean, you could even the January 6th ones, like I think to be able to say someone incited an insurrection, they have to be like, go get your fucking guns and storm the Capitol. But he never said that. Mm-hmm. The the way that they're twisting this to have to do with like implication and whatever it's like you know being a free if if people will recall being a free speech advocate used to be the purview of the left primarily Mm -hmm. but you know we've given up on that because of identitarian horseshit and so i just think like uh, the i actually think also there they must be absolutely terrified of trump like in that Tucker interview, he said, uh, it's interesting how he chooses his words sometimes. And I don't mean like 40 chess fucking QAnon shit. I just mean, I don't mean secret messages. I mean, like he, he said, um, I think they were talking about Ukraine. He's like, I'd end it day one. And he's like, how would you do that? He's like, well, last time I didn't know how Washington worked. And so I didn't have like the right people in place or something like that. And he's like, but this time I will. And this time he's basically like, we actually will be able to like take down the deep state or I don't think he said those words, but like, Mm -hmm. that's kind of the hint. And it's like, I don't know if he'll be able to do all that, but he's definitely going to be way more potent now. If he runs against Biden, if the Democrats (laughs) are psychotic enough to run Joe Biden again, Trump might run the table. It Mm -hmm. might be like almost like Reagan in 80, like, You know, with the exception of California and um, New York, but even California could go Trump, truly. Yeah. Uh, so, like, that's how abstract things have become. Mm-hmm. Like, we're we're literally in like 
the neck again the necro policy is interesting because it's like right like you have these abstract agencies i mean this is the point i've been making about climate change for a long time like obviously you know the the sort of like overall the scientific argument for the causes of climate change is like you know this huge constellation of like pollution of um you know like air pollution and pollution meaning like aerosols and stuff and greenhouse gases and like just this acclimation of all this that like starts to tamper with ecosystems at this macro global scale um but like you know the the point that i've been making for a while is like yeah for sure but also there's like direct like corrupt activities that like the reason the amazon rainforest is burning is not because of climate change it's because bolsonaro was like go burn the rainforest mm -hmm. and then it just like kept they kept going or like in florida those algae blooms that was not because that was not some spontaneous uh, global phenomena that seemed to manifest in florida they were literally dumping all these chemicals in the ocean that was feeding the red algae blooms that was killing people so like i'm just saying we need to be like careful about like attributing causes globally when they can just be very direct even though they're by the same yeah. people but it's like that's where um yeah anyway i just get you know we obviously were talking a lot about civil war and there's been an ideological civil war for a long time uh for years but like i think i think if they don't let trump run there might be a real like people might actually start throwing down especially if they try to redo covid you know if they if they start doing lockdowns again i mean that's just not gonna work like people right. are done with it myself included i'm not mm. doing any of that shit like i mean maybe i'll wear masks and but again everyone admits all the studies are showing the masks don't do anything and the only masks that did do anything were n95s which no one had and it didn't protect other people it just protected you so like this whole like make everybody do everything in lockdown like it's it it obviously didn't work uh mm. made things worse in a lot of ways and now the fucking like child mortality rate is up between 2019 and 2020 the mortality rate from one to 19 year olds rose by 10.7 percent and then the next year rose another 8.6 percent like but nobody like russell brand was like but nobody's talking about this because nobody can fucking make money off of it so they just fucking ignore it mm. and so like i'm just saying like there's your global ne necro politics yeah. like they're just taking all of these like I thought the one of the things that was really the the scariest part of District Nine. Have you seen that movie? That South yeah. African alien movie? It's an incredible mm -hmm. movie. Neil Blokomp or whatever you pronounce his name. The scariest part was when they went to that private facility. Like it was like a inside a corporation. They had like a secret floor where they were doing all these human experiments and there was something of or well it was on the aliens but the aliens are standing for like migrants or whatever um but there was something about that that was like i knew it was real like it, it there was mm -hmm. it was too true but i couldn't i had no evidence for it until i thank god found that history of fascism secret history of fascism part five on the farm with george from cavdef that we talked about on the show where it's just like using africa southern africa is a bioweapons laboratory um 
like now they're bringing it home now they're using it everywhere or at least you know you know like one of the things that's the most suspicious thing about covid to me as like a lab creation and this is before you know we kind of had the receipts on that was like okay so people who got covid some people lost their sense of smell and their sense of taste myself included some temporarily some seemingly permanently or long term it's just very convenient and suspicious that like the two senses that people lost were the ones that don't matter like you know contrast that with what if everybody what if 10% of people who had covid-19 went blind mm. The society would end if 10% of the people went deaf, the society would end. No one would go outside ever again. Like it, it would be an actual, like a, you know, pinpointed apocalypse, but the ones that we did lose are just ones that are, you know, they make us less human. I think you can't enjoy things as much central at a sensual level, but like people can still go to work. They can still, you know, function, um, and so, yeah, like, I think, I think that framework, it makes a lot of sense. Like, um, and I mean, you, you know more about this than I do, but like, like what's like, what's Foucault's like biopolitics theory, like in a nutshell. Oh man. I don't, I don't know that there was, uh, much of <laughs> okay. one to be honest. Uh, I mean, he, the book that that's that term comes from is the birth of biopolitics that's just his history his archaeology of neoliberalism basically and he doesn't actually get into quote biopolitics um and he didn't even do that much after that seminar um so i think effectively it's to, to your point the, the notion that um life and death itself will be um legislated upon and sort of controlled by governing agencies whether capitalism or political economy or or the government itself and that and he's speaking i think as a gay man and thinking about the ways in which of course as you know i mean like syphilis and black people right the tuskegee airmen and uh, you know gay folks and sort of aids and all that stuff and kind of where that was coming from and what was happening and what was now mm. what we what we know about again even the quote-unquote conspiracy level of stuff but not even conspiracies just the ways in which policy itself on the ground allows or doesn't allow um access to health uh healthcare right stuff like right. that so yeah. um that's kind of what he meant um okay without i don't yeah i don't think there was even a super coherent way of summarizing it or that he even got into that but i would only i mean i don't know if you're gonna if you're gonna go more no, in that direction yeah i was just gonna say the the trump reference is well taken um in the context of this film because that uh what was important to me or interesting to me when the mugshots came out right for trump and sort of turning yeah. himself in and it was atlanta and all that stuff which again black uh, <laughs> right that's community true. yeah and the ways in which what was the biggest takeaway for the news media and everybody at least that i saw i didn't follow it that closely from that it wasn't the mugshots or the it was like oh we're really recognizing now or understanding how horrible this prison system is and the jail and look how fucked mm. up the jail is and how underfunded it is and how there's no air conditioning in these sweltering conditions for these inmates right like that's what people started talking about which is again quote typically this leftist concern that trump sort of precipitated right which yeah. is amazing that that I mean, it was almost like it was i don't want to give him that much credit but like it was staged like he's i'm going to go to this particular place for this event because mm. it's going to draw attention to the horrifying conditions in this prison system right yeah um, 
And, uh, and, and so that, again, fits right into what this film is also talking about with regard to the ideological fight happening in the black community and sort of breaking out of that. So, Right. And like to that point, that's a great point, because if we recall, like the only president in a sitting president who's ever talked about prison reform in my lifetime, well, I think is Trump because Kanye like tricked him into like getting this guy falsely in prison released. Mm -hmm. Um, or I don't know if he tricked him, but he like worked him, you know? Right. And so like, yeah, that, I mean, that's it. I think, you know, and again, it's always important to keep in mind, like, why does the system think Trump's dangerous? The reason is has to do with containment. So like for them, and this could maybe transition us into talking about Haiti. I just want to clarify though, when you're talking about conspiracy theories, you were putting those in scare quotes, um, right. not saying that they were just conspiracy theories because Correct. right. Yeah. Like, cause we, I just want to clarify, we have the receipts on it. Tony Fauci killing black people and gay people with AIDS drugs that don't, that didn't work, uh, in the eighties, you know, again, CRFK's book for that. But, um, but, uh, so, the but the the containment like because uh a friend and a friend comrade and i were debating something about the ukraine war like uh in the first few months and i was like i was like having to articulate the fact that like because i like for example like on on self-proclaimed conspiracy podcasts they'll talk about you know how the cia literally works with Hollywood like directly and but the the you know that's the stuff they do is not very interesting it's just like the defense department like giving top gun access top gun producers access to jets and stuff like that so they can make propaganda movies um or like the avengers you know good guy cia martin freeman guy whatever like just very obvious stuff like that but um or marvel movies rather but so I think that uh, the more um, oh, but I was like, why do they even do that? Like, that's like so ham-fisted and like stupid. Like, people aren't really gonna pick up on that. But then I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh, it's not. They do that because it's not because like they even need to be believable in like what they're pitching. I mean, certainly if you're a kid watching that, you have no critical brain like your brain won't even like think like that um for the most generally speaking so yeah some stuff will penetrate but like and there will be like indoctrination but it's more about getting it's just like the mafia like there's this amazing moment in the sopranos when um they're trying to like work this guy and they're trying to get this guy to do something and the their first move is not to go threaten him and beat his ass. They just start giving him big gifts. And he's like, no, no, I don't want it. And, the, and then they're like aggressive. Like, no, you're fucking taking this. And the reason is because like now you owe us something. Um, and so there's some of that with the CIA, but they also want their people in there. But again, this is very superficial level CIA. This isn't covert at all, basically. But I I realized that like the reason they try to they still try to control the very superficial level of ideology so much is because for them, it's not so much about 
XYZ person being a specific threat. It's that they want to, they're just doing preemptive damage control. So if they can preempt any ideological, um, any virulent uh, ideas that can explode the ideology or threaten it, like it's harder to fight once it's out in the open, but if you can just prevent it overall, that's what they're always going for. And so, um, and the reason I say this transitions us into talking about Haiti is because that's what Peter Howard's book about Haiti is, uh, damning the flood, the politics of containment. It's about, um, Aristide. It's the history of Aristide and Lavalas in Haiti. Um, and I bring up Haiti because I, I asked uh, my partner here to watch um, uh, what's it called? I'll pull it up. Uh, but this documentary that these Canadians produced about it's called Another Vision Inside Haiti's Uprising. It's three parts. It's on YouTube, and it's about barbecue. Um, this this leader that's emerged from uh, the Haitian slums, like he started as a police officer, and he rose up the ranks, and then kind of like realized you know well he's very explicitly talking about like how the you know he they weren't really enforced they weren't allowed to actually fight crime because the crime was being done by the state and all this stuff and like all the this violence and shit and so um the way that one of the ways that haiti's been destabilized by the U.S. since Aristide. So, like, Aristide is allowed back in the country, but on condition he could never run for office again. Plus, he's, like, very old now, I think. But he, he would still win. Um, but, like, um, the basically, like, Port-au-Prince has, like, be, become very gang-ridden in the absence of, like, you know, cohesive left-wing party and all that stuff. And so, barbecue, like helps people like organize their communities to, f to kick out the murderers and the gangsters and do like running neighborhood security for themselves, but also bringing this overt message of like ideological warfare that like, you know, the reason you're poor is because these people are stealing all this shit from us and we have to like band together to get out of this. And his lieutenants have been killed. He's ex he expects to be killed. He's been described as Aristide with a gun, but it's like again, it's like very it parallels like what we see in they clone Tyrone in terms of like you know Haiti looks like this this shithole as to use Trump's words, uh, you know it looks like a shithole slum, but it's only that way because we've intentionally carefully. Cal in a calculated way over decades and centuries made it exactly to be that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, you know, Aristide was this massive threat because he was building hospitals and schools and getting doctors to come in from Cuba and like actually improving everyone's lives. Like he was winning elections with like 75% of the vote. Um, and the CIA, or U.S. military, maybe overtly, like they they overthrew his government two separate times, like in two different decades. Um, first, the Clinton administration, then the Bush administration, and the second time they put him on a plane with you know fucking mercenaries or whoever, flew him to the central middle of the Central African Republic, 
and they were like made him get off the plane and they said you either resign your presidency or we leave you here and if he would have stayed he would have got killed by other mercenaries and so he was forced to resign and then was in exile in south africa for a long time but is back since like 2011 or whatever um but like I mean, Haiti is one of the most interesting places on earth to me because it's so politically like insane like this, much like South Africa. Um, but again, these are places that are completely, this is all very calculated and all the contours of it are determined by external Western forces like fighting over dominance uh, or just fighting the population themselves. And so like, that's what I think that the takeaway and then to, you know, bringing it all back home. Haha. Uh, I found a documentary about this guy, Rome, who is the CEO of revolutionary blackout network, which is a YouTube channel. That's pretty good. Um, and it's like all these black dudes or black people like doing political commentary from the, you know, a Mark, mostly a Marxist perspective. But they're not like annoying like white Marxists. Um, and uh, but there's this documentary about Rome. It's called like Rome Death to America. And he's like in, I think he's in the Midwest. He, whatever hood he's from, he's like an ex-gang member. But he's like openly organizing people and saying shit on camera. Like, we need to, yes, we need to organize all the people to do all this mutual aid, but we also need to organize our killers and our shooters. Like, we need to make self defense militias because the state is not going to save us. We have to fix this shit. And, you know, later in the documentary, like, um, and they're doing stuff like they're buying you know, they're buying gas for people or they're just going around mowing people's lawns for old people who can't like do it themselves or whatever, or can't afford to pay someone to do it. And they're giving people like fucking pizza and clothes and stuff. Um, but later in the documentaries, like talking about how, like, well, one thing that was interesting is like, I have no resources. I have no money. I can't go like train people. You know, I can't, uh, I don't have the ability or the resources to do that. But what I can do is talk to people and hopefully inspire other people to become me in their cities or whatever. And one of the really interesting things was he was asked about like white militias. And he's like, well, what about these white militias? They're like, they're like racist, but they're also against the state. You know, they, they hate the fucking cops and stuff too. And he's like, he's like, I've talked to some of those people like, I'll work with them. Like if they're racist and they don't like us, like we might not like them either, but like we can, we can work together because we have a common enemy. Even if we live in separate places and separate, if they want to be like all white over there, that's fine. Um, and he's, he talks, he talks in revolutionary terms. Like he says, like his pitch to people is like, you're already dead. So you have nothing to be afraid of. Like, you know, this is basically walking death or whatever. And like, that's, that is the revolutionary position. That's Fred Hampton's position. Um, even in that not so great movie that we talked about, uh, about him, that's what he said. And so, it, or that character said, but like, that's again, we're in these, like, <laughs> this is what's so fucking wild about all this stuff is like the caricature of the hood is like, Oh, these people are just, you know, they're lost or aimless or they're too poor and they can't help themselves or whatever. It's like, no, they're in, 
They're literally having to deal with these extreme existential questions all the time in order to even figure out how to survive. And so they're, you know, the way out is then not less theory, but more theory, like more abstraction um, to be able to even identify how to fight, you know, and like that kind of that thing I wrote about how to blow up a pipeline, like that's how, you know, we have to like figure out how to fight first. Like, mm -hmm. and that's not a simple question. Um, and along these lines, I saw a tweet from MIA, the singer, and she had visited Assange and she had a picture of her. She's wearing like this. She wasn't wearing a burqa, but she was wearing like this whole body shawl kind of thing. And, but it was like beige rather, you know, like if you see like African women wearing them, they're usually very colorful or whatever. Um, but Assange was like, why are you dressed like you're in prison? <laughs> and she's like, um, or no, sorry. She started off talking about how she was, he, he was like, he's like reading the Bible a lot and whatever. And then he said something like, um, why? Or she said something like the word, oh, okay. He goes, uh, why are you just like, um, you're in prison. And she's like, because the world's ending. And uh, he's like, then why am I still in prison? And he's like, and she's like, because the whole world's a prison now. And so I think that's like how we should begin to begin to look at this. Um, and like, that's not easy. I mean, I think it's become easier. I mean, I don't think anybody's having a fucking good time out here. Like, um, you know, up in North Dakota, which is pretty like placid. It's not. I mean, people are assholes, but it's, you know, it's visually placid. Like, mm -hmm. um, we've had wildfire smoke since it stopped snowing and it used to only be for a month and now it's fucking three months, um, four months mm -hmm. almost. Um, and it's bad. Like, it's like you, you can see the haze, you can taste it sometimes, um, and it fucks me up. Like, I don't have, I just have indoor allergies, but it still fucks me up. Like, I don't even have asthma. Um, but it's like, we, we literally can't live like this. Like, mm -hmm. you can't live like this forever. Um, and that's not even to speak of, obviously, climate disruptions that are in motion. And so, like, all this is to say, like, the, yeah the paradoxical outcome is like we we need to get less concrete and more abstract in terms of like how we approach this because just like i was saying with that jameson essay oh, when we talked about oppenheimer like the revelatory thing is just like oh we don't have to do things at maximal efficiency we don't have to play the neoliberal game of like turning everything into a business transaction or a metric that needs to be like optimized um and especially since, like, within two or three years, like, probably half the people listening to this, your jobs are going to be gone. I mean, the AI, they've, they're going to figure it out. It's already here. So um, we're all about to be in the hood for real in an even more extreme way. Like, um, like and I'm not trying to compare, you know, whatever, like, normal, not normal, but, like, white middle-class existences to the ghetto because it's not the same thing but even that reality is going to start to 
you know, contract is already contracting. Like people, like we were at the bar because our buddy's here and the server came out and she seemed pretty bubbly. So she's like, can I get you anything? I go, can you give me a respirator for this air quality? And I showed her the like air quality. She's like, I know it's horrible. She's like, I went to get allergy meds at Target and it was $45. And it's just like, what? what like um so you know we're all being squeezed like it's literally like because if you go to the hood and you go to the bodega or the liquor store shit is insanely expensive mm. that's we that's where everyone's about to live now and i i think in some ways you know we're still gonna have these like sort of fancy suburbs i mean i don't like it i think they're disgusting and ugly but like uh you know what's supposed to be sort of a modicum of luxury for middle-class people, those suburbs might start looking like the French suburbs, which is where the hood is, you know, mm-hmm. like there's not a real, I, I don't know who has a real sense that this is going to persist for very much longer. Like I certainly don't. It's not to the point where I'm scared, but like, I really, I guess it's been starting since COVID when I just couldn't predict anything anymore. Like it means everything's sort of falling apart. Um, But yeah, like, if we're to even imagine a way out, we have to stop thinking in the terms presented to us. Cause like, yeah. they're not promising us anything except more pain. Yeah. And to, to that point, as I think we've discussed, I work at a, a medical uh, college and there's an elective that um, one of the local physician slash uh, instructors provides, which it used to be, I mean, this is, they've put it on pause for reasons we can discuss, but where they would go to Haiti, right? And they would kind of do the, the Paul Farmer thing and I, I suppose see on the ground, um, not that you have to go to Haiti to do that anymore um the what what i think paul farmer called the pathologies of power and just kind of how this sort of uh, disease is a product of of course power relations and, and so on which is great and we need to do like that should be embedded as a core concept within all medical colleges not some elective that only a few people take but they paused doing that because of the political and social unrest there and part of me wants to say well there are obvious reasons why i wouldn't want to be responsible if something happens to a student you know, legally or otherwise, but like, that's when they need to go there the most, right? right. Is what I want to talk yeah. to this guy about who, who brings the students there, but it's just not, you know, it's not going to happen um, for a number of administrative reasons. But um, that's, I guess what I'm, I don't know what I'm getting at, other than to say that um, the point about Haiti is well taken in this hemisphere, where if you want to see, we've talked about it, J.G. Ballard and the future on the periphery, like that's it. But also, mm-hmm. if we can sort of educate you know physicians and people who are going to be perhaps wealthier than you or i or you know have some Mm -hmm. modicum of power we need them to see that because then they will be able to bring the uh, prevention of that or the um i guess the uh, prescription whatever back home uh here so that we can deal with that stuff here at the same time as we hopefully can help uh provide some sort of solution in haiti because that's what we need is that again uh, we what am i getting at we need the we need physicians for instance to see the effect of u.s power because i think that'll have an effect then here on the ground at home because these folks can talk to legislators and can talk to administrators and rich people and um i mean i don't know if there's any i mean there are other ways of ways out other egress um as the the tyrone film suggests or barbecue suggests but um i really i don't know i just i think that's i'd like to see that happen well i think um 
so to that point like specifically i remember there was a time when i was considering i think we talked about it briefly on the show but like i considered going to medical school but i was really um like on the one hand i think i'd probably be good at it uh but that's not really the issue the issue is yeah. um what are you doing like mm -hmm. what what goes on in this medical system and mm -hmm. like RFK's made this point of like the major the sig the very significant increases in health outcomes in this country have not come from medications or vaccines they've mm -hmm. come from nutrition primarily and sanitation like yeah. so though and those are social policies generally speaking um and so like i remember our uh you know one of our one of our professors i was i was talking about some of this with like 10 years ago and i know they had been involved with some kind of direct like medical stuff in a charitable kind of way um long ago and i remember they had made a comment to me one time when i had mentioned medical school prior to that they were like you were like built for doctors without borders because she she was like you know you're you're very adaptable and you you know whatever like obviously i'm very like taking a lot of stuff in and mm -hmm. interested in stuff and i like appreciated that but i also was like you know then you watch like enjoy poverty and you see doctors without borders literally just leaving places in in the congo and then when they're asked about why they're leaving they won't even answer any questions and it's like they're leaving people to die and it's like wait a minute what the fuck is going on here and what i realized later was as i thought through it i was like i think i'd mentioned this to you when this happened because the the guy who either started doctors without borders or was leading it at the time in 2012 gave a talk here yeah and i was thinking about going and i didn't end up going but i was trying to think of what question i would ask and the question i would ask him would be what is it like to be a janitor for global capitalism and um i actually think it's more nefarious now um mm. but but at the very least that's true and so i mentioned this to this professor she got kind of i'd never seen her get sort of like unsettled before but i was making a point about like um uh, because she was like well yeah it'd be interesting what he said but i because i was saying like i wouldn't want to go to a place to do anything like that unless we were training people to like solve the problem like so that right. we would be superfluous and then she was kind of accusing me of not being leftist enough because you're supposed to go there and they tell you what they need and then you do that and i'm like but that's not solving anything and i got kind of it was it was very bizarre because I, I never had like a interaction with like with, like that with her before and she actually kind of apologized in an email uh, <laughs> uh, which was also unusual but what was interesting is then later i found out that the guy who started the public health program at the university in question he literally was he had spent 20 years in africa and that's what he what he said is what i said to do which is he's like no we need to like go there and like train people so they can fucking do this but i was being accused of being basically not in these words but a colonialist because like she's like think about how you're framing this you're gonna go in that you're gonna go in from the outside and you're gonna like help them and it's like wait a minute 
<laughs> no, I want to get the fuck out. I, I want this to not be necessary. Yeah. And so the, um, and that's somebody who's like formally definitely on the left, like no question. I don't question that, but like, it's just very <laughs> fascinating. Like if you tamper with people's liberal assumptions about what to do, they, it can fuck with them because mm -hmm. they might be wrong and they might know it. Um, but the reason I'm bringing this up in the context of what you're saying is I agree with you, like at the, at a, at a minimum, um, if you're going to be a doc, if you're going to be a doctor in America, you should, we should have a system where you have to do what Cuba does, which is you go to nightmare places and try to fix intractable problems. So you at mm -hmm. least know how these things work as far as that translating to some sort of power to appeal to legislators i find that deeply unlikely yeah. what i will say though about this like the sort of the as jizuk would say short circuit between the first world and like the developing world is around the same time in 2012 or so i or maybe shortly thereafter i was starting to think about why the u.s left was so worthless and in different ways and like i was like wait a minute like all the places that i'm inspired by in this hemisphere are not in this country like at the time like the 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 quebec students were literally like toppling their government mm -hmm. um and like and then obviously aristide and haiti is like the gold standard of like you know heroism in the modern age or whatever um or even you know to whatever degree chavez and morales and linera and um at the time um uh, the ecuadorian president was pretty good um i can't remember his name offhand and then the uruguayan president so like i was like so i i i messaged uh somebody who's you know, published, I messaged uh, Jody Dean, who's published about communism. And I was like, okay, so why, how come like there are all these places just south of us who are actually doing all this stuff to try to make communism happen? Um, why are we not trying to organize with them, learn from them how to do this? And she was to her credit, very honest and just like, oh, I never thought about that. Like, it's just not, and this is now, she just said that this is now me, but like, it's not on the fucking table, even for like the radical communist mm -hmm. intellectual types um, to try and figure that out. You know, at least Zizek will hint at some of this stuff, but like uh, these people, they're not. They're basically, like Chomsky says, corrupt. Like, I'm not saying she is, but I'm just saying in general, like, the fact of, like, that ideological framework that limits debate in the media is also very true in academia. Um, and that's the last place where you can even have the modicum of an intellectual. Thankfully, with podcasting, that's maybe shifting slightly, but in terms of people being able to make money, prison company excluded. Um, <laughs> but, like... But overall, the point is just like if we can't begin to break down barriers or even just like, you know, like and this is before Standing Rock. But me, when I realized like, oh, the most radical places in North Dakota are the reservations. That's mm -hmm. where like, but like, again, those are like those are blank spots on the map by and large. Like there's such a huge divide. Like and I mean, there's like literally a question of security, like 
you know, and hey, if me and a bunch of white people go on the reservation, try to start politically organizing, they're going to correctly be like, your feds get the fuck out of here, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. So I'm not, it's not their fault. I'm just saying like, um, there's such a huge gulf between these worlds that like we need to figure out it's not so much about like breaking down the walls and like making it all the same but rather like figuring out where we can identify our shared struggles like across social distinction like that's the whole fucking point um and but again there's there's such a lack there's such a dearth of fucking creativity in terms of thinking like people who are you know we'll get into this in future episodes but i've unfortunately come to the realization that I'll, the the most like interesting critical theory that's going on right now is on the right mm. which is surprising but like like i read a an article or listened to a recording of the, the article being read uh about it's called like ideologies of delayed informatization which is a spin-off of like a um a similar uh, criticism called like um ideologies of delayed industrialization from a former time but like they they go to great lengths to like you know in a very systematic way talk about how like left-wing intellectuals are sort of just reacting to a newly emergent idea space online but the way they do that is they try to just dismiss it or get ahead of it and just ignore it or say we got here first like you're actually just stealing this from us and it's like that's a good point <laughs> like the, i don't see a lot of like productive interesting shit coming out of the left like and the people who are reading a lot who are like marxists they're just talking about like this very like limited period of history from 1848 to fucking whatever probably like 19 maybe the 50s and it's just like yeah that's great but what are you know are you able to think through like how to actually figure out how to fight or is this simply like jerking off or is this simply armchair shit intentionally just to be obtuse um and you know like i read uh, bronze age mindset which is literally like a neo-fascist in in a sense this guy is like a hard right european uh, uh russian guy but it's like this is the most exciting thing i've seen in five years like even if i disagree with you know enough of it to like make it you know uh, well we'll talk about it at some point but like sure. the point i'm making is just like at the at the moment of rupture, and this is a point Zizek's made in the past. At the moment of rupture, the left has nothing to offer, mm -hmm. and he was saying that in two thousand eight about the financial crash. But I think it's way more true now. Like, um, the, you know, and the non-intellectual right, um, those people are seizing all this opportunity now of like this social fissures that are exploding. Like we have no answer for any of this. Like I have not seen anyone on the left propose anything in the last two years, maybe since 2020 at any level, the right is fully full throated. They have, they have answers. I'm not saying they're going to work or they're good, but like they will provide ways forward. And so, uh, you know, I don't, I, th I think 
you know, like Bronze Age Pervert, the guy who wrote Bronze Age Mindset, says, like, the left basically, like, destroyed itself. They bet all this, everything on identity politics, and it didn't work. And, of course, it can't work. I mean, it's literally just, this is me now. It's just not, it's not a feasible way forward. Um, But now everybody's at, you know, if people still are even fucking with the left at all, they're completely self-censored. They think, Mm -hmm. you know. Because you get called a fascist if you say in, Jimmy Dore is called a extreme right winger all the time. <laughs> like he's never said a right wing thing, you know, like by any measure. Um, and so I don't know. This is just like I just don't think the left has. I don't know if the left has a way forward, really. Like the stuff we're talking about makes sense, but it it, it would require more people thinking like along these lines. And I'm not saying I have answers, but at least I can think critically about like what we're fucking presented with. And that just seems to be like uh, totally abandoned. Like any attempt at all this is just like gone. And so I, I just don't know. Um, I I think... I, this is the first time in my life where I've understood why people turn to the right. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not always just because they get cynical or they get old or whatever. It's more like, like Zizek was saying, like there's interviews with people who were around during the Nazi times. And like the reason they were into it wasn't so much because it was like, they were, they, it wasn't even, they loved Hitler's politics. Keeping in mind you know, the Jewish question stuff was not made public for a long time. Like the Nazis have been in power for a while before he started Mm -hmm. rolling that shit out. Um, But what appealed to them was like, Oh, there was always some crazy shit happening. Like there's all this spectacle and it was fun. And it's like, can you imagine the left providing an opportunity to have fun? Like, I mean, like we're not allowed to fuck. If you're a dude, you're not allowed to assert any sort of masculinity at all. I mean, but even that's a lie. Like, I think, you know, straight women on the left still want the traditional, like, they want men to do the work, but they also, now they just want to be able to berate the men while doing it. And it's just like, this is exhausting. Who would buy in? What's the buy in here? Like, and so, you know, this isn't me being like, oh, I'm on the right now. It's more like, if you, if we can't provide anything good, the right will win for sure because uh-huh. they don't, they're not constrained by like the same ethical shit that we are. Um, and like being smug and being on podcasts and I'm not talking about us. I'm just like other shit that I've listened to. Like then like RFK comes off, comes up and the whole dirtbag left turns on him. They're like, Oh, he's just a grifter. He's just like a boomer who only cares about him. I'm like, are you fucking crazy? Like, that's that's the best what's your alternative who who are the left isn't even putting anyone forward as a leader like even not even the democratic socialists so to me it's just like we're in really deep shit and now we're at a point it's so bad that we actually need trump to win like we really like unironically need trump to win or things are going to get really really scary Mm -hmm. um and you know if i if i say that in left circles i'm like a crazy person but mm-hmm. it's just like do the fucking math like i i don't know how else this shakes out so yeah i mean that's as good a place to stop as any i was only going <clears> to <throat> add uh was the you mentioned that the 
it, his name was James Orbinski, was the former uh, CEO or whatever, president of, of uh, Dr. Yeah, Dr. I didn't, Dr. I don't know his name, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, Medecins Sans Frontières, that, anyway, that, <laughs> that organization, French, but he was a Canadian and he was, uh, I, I had the, the opportunity to like help introduce him or introduce the person mm. introducing him and that was kind of cool. But to your point uh, about the conversation with the professor too, there was, there has been some good uh, scholarship on those organizations like MSF and other, um, I guess, Red Cross or whatever. I mean, in the health context, but it's it's sort of leftist humanitarianism generally. Yeah. Um, there's an article uh, called Alms Dealers that I think was in the New York New Yorker um, many years ago now, but where the woman is, uh, I think it's a female writer, just observing and talking to these MSF surgeons and other folks who are humanitarian aid workers. And they're, she's watching them sort of stitch up this kid in Africa who, you know, uh, Hutu Tutsi thing. It was probably Rwanda. And I mentioned that because that's where James Orbinski spent a lot of time, you know, stitch up this kid who had his arm chopped off or whatever. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, um, she goes into the, the history and the context of how, or, you know, the warlords and these other um, horrible agencies, um, including, um, you know, US backed agencies, sort of they, they can, they, when they know that a humanitarian agency is going to come in, uh, they just up the violence, right? And that gives them an excuse to do some of this kind of stuff because then it draws attention, media attention to the struggle that they're oh, trying to okay. fix at a political level. And so the woman's comment that I'm getting at was uh, the writer was like, I couldn't help but wonder uh, if this kid would need the services of these doctors if these doctors weren't here in the first place. Right. <laughs> right. So, right. And, yeah. and so that's kind of the the conundrum uh and i and it sounds like the professor you spoke with maybe hadn't read those articles or been thinking about it at that level but it's 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 a point well taken that if you are on the far left and you assert those kind of you ask those questions um which suggests we shouldn't even be there we shouldn't be doing humanitarianism period at right, that level right, right. like you're called some sort of reactionary <laughs> yeah. um and it's and it's a problem and i'm i mean i'm agreeing with you and i don't I don't know the way out of that. And I do see, I agree, why people turn to the right, because at least there's an answer, right? Mm -hmm. And there you go. No, that's a, that's great. Like, um, I mean, that reminds me of, I remember seeing this article and this was long before, like I had, I mean, I certainly knew about Iran Contra and those sorts of things, but like I had less awareness of like how fundamental to the drug trade the cia continues to be like basically always has been but there was a there i remember this article maybe again like 10 years ago or something where the dea pulled out of bolivia and immediately the cocaine uh trafficking collapsed yeah <laughs> like the industry was gone as soon as the people supposedly there to stop it uh right. left and right. i mean that's like the whole i mean this is sort of the this is the actual logic of neoliberalism. Like um, Michael Hudson was talking about, I've mentioned this on the show before, but I think when we were talking about Cormac McCarthy stuff or something, but where he's like, like from the beginning, um, it was understood that the only way to have quote free markets was you needed this brutal authoritarian violence, mm -hmm. like to control the conditions you know, in in Chile specifically, but like the the same goes for all this sort of like yeah, human quote 
quote humanitarian aid or whatever it's all money laundering like that's maybe we should just watch uh enjoy poverty soon and talk about it on the show but like the i mean the amount of money that actually gets like the amount of resources that are actually spent on doing the thing they say they're doing is like 10 percent or less 90 percent of the money goes from western governments is through ngos back to western whoever gets paid off you know doing it administratively but not just administratively i mean it's literally money laundering and then of course like you know the these ngos are just completely infiltrated by spooks like it's more much more likely that all these groups are really just they don't need to even be formal intelligence fronts but like they act de facto as yeah. intelligence fronts because yeah. they just get infiltrated um and and i mean there are certainly examples of like like it's well known now that usaid is just a literal cia cutout like that that a lot of these groups literally are just intelligence orgs uh masquerading as humanitarian groups um and so like i mean this is why like you know beautiful things you know, in spite of all the horrors of, uh, that go on that are inflicted on Haiti, beautiful things happen. Like I remember after the earthquake, they tried to flood Haiti with all this rice that was, uh, you know, from the UN that was supposed to aid and they lit it all on fire. They burned all of it. And the reason is because like I, there's a documentary about this sort of thing. It might've been about I don't know if it was specifically about Tom shoes, but Tom shoes was named in this because mm. Tom shoes is like, Oh, we give a pair. We give a pair of shoes to like some poor kid. Every time you buy one. Well, that actually fucks over the local producers of shoes. So they go out of business because Tom shoes is flood. There's a glut of this stuff. And so the same thing with when the West floods their agricultural products into these places, it destroys local agricultural markets. And that's part of why they do it is to do that. Like they know that's going to happen. The UN fucking knows that happens. Um, but it's like a weapon. And so like, I remember when, uh, uh, what was it? It was maybe three or four years ago. Like there were reports that, so there, whoever was, the U S was trying to overthrow the Venezuelan government through their proxies or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, supposedly aid trucks were being blocked that was the news story that went on they're like oh look at these fascists they're trying to like keep venezuelans from eating and it was like no they were they were blocking trucks that they knew were like full of spooks um from getting in the country because they were just going to create more chaos and like you know it do things that would eventually like hurt the people obviously um and so like these uh these are obviously dark waters but in terms of like trying to even figure out what the fuck is happening half the time but yeah to your point like suffice it to say like anybody who's like going in from the west into these places saying they're trying to help are are basically just you know the soft power version the neoliberal biopolitical version of the french foreign legion you know they're effectively just mercenaries um in you know either literally blue helmets or just like doctor's coats or something like that <laughs>